Hi, this is David. Welcome to episode 16 of Upward Journey Bible Study, where we study the Bible and theology. This episode focuses on learning some of the content and message of the book of 1 Timothy. In this epistle, Paul talks about the dangers of false teaching and the need to focus on knowing and obeying God's teaching. There are 21 epistles in the New Testament, 13 are written by Paul, and there are eight general epistles. Paul's epistles from Romans to 1 Timothy are Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and 1 Timothy. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture quotations for this episode are taken from the World English Bible because the World English Bible is in the public domain. Let's get started. 1 Timothy is six chapters long. The author of 1 Timothy is Paul. Paul addresses this letter to Timothy. Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Timothy knew who Paul was. He knew Paul was an apostle. Paul writing this way shows the authority in which he writes this letter to Timothy. Paul reminding Timothy of Paul's authority gave Timothy ammunition to confront those teaching false doctrine. Timothy could say to them, This teaching I am teaching you is based on Scripture and on the statements of Paul the Apostle, whose apostleship is based on God's commandment and based on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today, we can also look to the commandments and instructions found in 1 Timothy as God's commands to us through his apostle Paul. Next, Paul refers to God the Father as our Savior and Jesus as our hope. Paul addresses Timothy as a genuine son in the faith. Paul greets Timothy with grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy had been together in Ephesus, but Paul had to go to Macedonia, and Paul left Timothy behind in Ephesus to make sure that others did not teach false doctrine. Paul alludes to teachers who took their focus away from teaching that would build up Christians in God and in the Christian faith. They were getting sidetracked in disputes over myths and genealogies. Christians should not get distracted from getting their theology from the Bible and the Bible alone. The purpose of Paul's command to not stray from sound doctrine, that is, correct teaching of God's word, is that the Christian will have the quality of love in their lives that God wants them to have. Paul gives three qualities of this Christian love. Christian love is to one, be from a pure heart, two, from a good conscience, and three, from a sincere faith. The heart refers to the location of the will, desires, and affections. Paul wants to keep our wills, desires, and affections clean from sinful desires and affections. God wants us to only will to do God's will. Christian love is also to be from a good conscience. Christians are to be sensitive to knowing and doing what is right in God's eyes. Thirdly, Christian love is to be from a sincere faith. That is a faith that is without hypocrisy. It is a genuine, sincere faith. Christian love is to be real and not a pretense. The law is made to restrain those who want to do evil. 
Paul then mentions some evil practices that God's law is meant to restrain us from doing. Paul addresses the following sins. The sin of being insubordinate. The insubordinate are those who are rebellious and disobedient against God. Another sin that the law is made to help restrain is ungodliness. Sinners, people who are unholy, the profane, murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, the sexually immoral, homosexuals, slave traders or kidnappers, liars, perjurers, that is a person who violates their oath to be truthful. And then the law is made to restrain all other things not according to correct teaching or doctrine. What doctrine is Paul talking about? The doctrine is from the good news of glory and the blessed God, which God committed to Paul the apostle. The, The gospel was committed to Paul's trust. That means that God gave the good news to Paul with the duty and obligation to share that good news of God's salvation with others. All Christians have freely received God's forgiveness and God entrusts to us the obligation to share with others how to be saved and be reconciled to God. Paul then gives thanks to Jesus Christ who saved him and put him into the ministry of serving Jesus Christ. Paul's perspective was that he was unworthy of God's salvation and this attitude made him thankful for God saving him and giving him the opportunity to share God's good news with others. Paul was able to carry out his ministry because God enabled him. God gives to all Christians the power and ability to carry out the mission God calls them to do. What is the ministry? Ministry is serving God and serving others. Paul affirms that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He knew he was among the worst of sinners, yet God saved him. Those who believe in Jesus receive eternal life. Paul then blesses God as the King Eternal, the King Immortal, the King Invisible. God alone is wise and deserves honor and glory. Paul charges Timothy to engage in a warfare in behalf of God's cause. This warfare involves having faith in a good conscience. Why is this battle necessary? Because if we fail to fight the good fight to keep the Christian faith and to keep a good conscience, we can lose it all. Some former Christians have failed to do this, and now their lives are shipwrecked. Now for 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul exhorts Timothy to pray for government authorities and for all men. Paul mentions various kinds of prayers. One, petitions. Two, prayers three, intercessions, and four, giving thanks. If we do not like the policies of those in government, then we can at least be thankful they help protect us from foreign invasion and protect us from criminals. And we can also pray that God will change their hearts and lead them into the truth. Prayer for those in authority is so that we might live a tranquil and quiet life. The lives Christians are to live is one of godliness and reverence. God desires that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible teaches there is but one God. The Bible teaches there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the one and only mediator between God and man. There is no other mediator. Neither Mary nor so-called saints are mediators between God and man. Only Jesus is a mediator between God and man. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for many. Paul is a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. He teaches in faith and in truth. Prayer is to be um, with holy hands and without anger and doubting. Women are to dress modestly and with propriety. Fancy clothing is no substitute for good works, godliness, quietness, avoiding deception, continuing in faith, love, and sanctification with soberty. Christian women should be focused on bringing attention to Jesus rather than themselves. Likewise, Christian men should be more focused on bringing attention to Jesus rather than to themselves. Now for chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul discusses the duties of overseers and servants in the church. The overseer refers to the pastor or pastors of the church that overlook the spiritual welfare of believers. A servant or minister is sometimes called a deacon. These leaders in the church assist with the ministry of the church. Paul first discusses the qualifications and character required of an overseer. One, the overseer must be without reproach. He must have a good character that results in a good reputation. An overseer must have only one wife. An overseer must have self-control. An overseer must be sensible. An overseer must be modest. An overseer must be hospitable. An overseer must be good at teaching. An overseer must rule his own house well and have children who are subject to him with respect. An overseer must be, like we said, hospitable. An overseer must be gentle. Now, wouldn't these kinds of traits be wonderful in a supervisor you have at work? And in the same way at church, it's kind of not, it's important to have a, a, a an overseer or a leader in your church that has these qualifications and characteristics. Now for characteristics that should not be found in an, over, in an overseer. One, a drinker of alcohol, a violent person, a greedy person, a quarrelsome person, a coveting person. Now for qualifications of servants. These servants can also be called ministers or deacons. Um, they are those who are focused on ministering to the needs of the church. Ministers must have these qualities. Ministers must be reverent. Ministers must hold to the Christian faith in a pure conscience. Ministers must first be tested. Ministers must be blameless. A minister's wife needs to be reverent, self-controlled, and faithful in all things. Their wives must not be slanderers. They must not spread false statements that hurt the reputation of others. A minister must rule uh, his family well and have one wife. A minister is not to be double-tongued, addicted to much wine, or greedy for money. 
Now how to behave in God's house and assembly? The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Where else is people going to go to find the truth? Other than to God's word, and hopefully the church will faithfully represent God's word. Now Paul gives a summary of Jesus' life. Jesus was revealed in the flesh. Jesus as God the Son became human and dwelt on earth. Jesus was justified by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelt on Jesus and empowered him. Jesus was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations and received up in glory. After Jesus' death, God raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to God's right hand, which is a place of glory. Now for chapter 4. Paul is a prophecy of coming apostasy when people fall away from God. Paul prophesies of coming apostasy. Some will fall away from the faith. You can only fall away from the faith if you are in the faith. This clearly teaches that Christians can fall away from God. How will these particular people fall from the faith? People fall away from God in various ways, but here Paul says we can fall away from God by paying attention to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. These demonic doctrines come through the hypocrisy of men who speak lies. Paul gives an example of a false teaching that calls for people to abstain from marriage and certain kinds of foods. God created marriage and food to be received with thanksgiving, and it is made holy through God's word and prayer. Paul instructs Timothy in his ministry. Timothy is to instruct the brothers, that is, other Christians. Timothy is to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Timothy is to be nourished in the words of the faith. Timothy is to be nourished in the good doctrine. This means he needs to read and study God's word. What are some doctrines to be rejected? Well, Timothy is to reject profane fables or myths and old wives' fables. Stick with the word of God. Timothy is to exercise in godliness. This is contrasted with physical exercise. This means that being godly and obeying God takes struggle, practice, and persistence. Godliness must become a habit of obedience. Paul talks about the value of godliness over bodily exercise. We are to set our trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. Timothy is to command and teach these things. Character is more important than how old you are. The importance of being an example. We may need to be an example in word, what we say. We need to be an example in the way of life we live. In love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Timothy is to pay attention to reading the Bible in private and at church. He is to give attention to exhortation, that is, encouraging other Christians to do the right thing. He has to give attention to teaching other Christians to be, help them become stronger Christians. Timothy has to pay attention to the exercise of the spiritual gift God has given him. Now, how is Timothy to go about reading, exhortation, teaching, and exercising his gift. He is to do it with diligence. He has to work hard at it. 
he has to do it with total commitment. And he needs to progress in them. He needs to grow in these qualities. He has to pay attention to what he is teaching. And he needs to continue in these things. Now, what is the reward of continuing in reading, exhortation, teaching, and exercising one's gift? Well, you save yourself and others. You stay true to God and help others to stay true to God. Now for chapter 5. Paul talks about how to correct a fellow believer. Paul says instead of rebuking other Christians, we should exhort them, that is to urge them to do the right thing. He distinguishes four different groups. One, older men, two, younger men, three, older women, and four, younger women. First, regarding older men, Paul says not to rebuke an older man, but to exhort him as a father. The Bible teaches we are to honor our father and mother. So in exhorting an older man, we need to urge them to do what is right, but still honor them by giving them the kind of respect we would be have in regards to our father. The same would be true of an older woman. Regarding younger men, we are to exhort them as a fellow believer. And in regards to younger women, we are to exhort them in all purity. I find this somewhat strange because Paul once seems to have rebuked Peter rather than just exhorting Peter. See Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 to 14. Although the term rebuke does not appear in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says that he resisted Peter to his face because he stood condemned. Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. Paul said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live as Gentiles do and not as the Jews do, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as the Jews do? Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. Maybe Paul says this merely as an exhortation and not as a rebuke of Peter. Paul then talks about the church's welfare program. The background to the church's welfare program is that at At that time, a woman's source of income was from her parents, if she was not married, and from her husband, if she was married. If her husband died and her father was no longer alive, and she had no relatives to take care of her, then she was left in a situation of having no no source of income for food and other necessities. The church then made provisions for these widows. However, Paul gives guidelines for which widows were to receive financial aid from the church. Similar principles apply today. Our focus should be on helping those who are unable to work or help themselves. Here are the groups of women who should not be on the church welfare program. First of all, widows who could be supported by relatives such as their own children or grandchildren. Children and grandchildren have an obligation to repay their elders, just as their elders, you know, sacrifice financially to raise them. Now they are obligated to care for their parents and grandparents. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone doesn't provide for his own, and especially his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
This means Christians have the obligation to work and provide for themselves and their relatives and not expect the church to step in when they have failed to take care of themselves or their own family. The second group to be excluded from the church welfare program are widows without a history of diligence. The priority for the welfare system of the early church was for diligent widows who were not lazy. It is not that these older women were to get a handout without working if they were able to work. Paul says first they have to be 60 years old or older, have been married to one man, have a history of good works, have washed Christians' feet, that is, they have served other Christians, has brought up children, have been hospitable to strangers, have relieved the afflicted, and have diligently followed every good work. The third group not to be on the welfare system of the church was the younger women, those under 60 years old, because they would likely remarry. Secondly, they will learn to be idle and spend their free time being gossips and busybodies and saying things they should not say. Paul wanted the younger widows to get married, bear children, rule the household, and give no occasion to the enemy for insulting. This is one of the possible dangers of retirement today. We should use our retirement to serve more. It should not be viewed as a long, endless vacation. The same would apply to those unemployed. Besides working hard to find a new job, the unemployed should use their extra time to serve God and others. Also, this should be a source of exhortation to men who are too lazy to work and instead expect their wives to be the breadwinner. Next, Paul addresses financial support to the elders of the church who work hard at studying and teaching God's word. These people should be paid for their services. This is not a handout. They have worked hard for it. Paul says the laborer is worthy of his wages. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Next, Paul talks about dealing with accusations made against elders, that is, leaders of the church. Paul says not to accept an accusation against an elder from one single witness. Paul says there must be two or three witnesses. In other words, there must be an investigation to make sure the accusation is true. Paul says don't be too quick to assume someone else has done wrong without first checking out the facts. Paul says it this way, Lay hands hastily on no one. Don't be a participant in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. We participate in other people's sins when we accept their slander or defamation of others when we have not investigated the facts. Paul tells Timothy to not drink water only, but also a little wine for his stomach's sake and Timothy's frequent infirmities. Today we have safe drinking water and other medications for infirmities. Also today we know the danger of alcohol. Some are unable to drink just a little wine. Alcohol is not worth the risk of ruining your life and the life of those around you. It's better to totally abstain. How do we apply Paul's admonition to Timothy here today? Paul is saying, watch after your physical health. Timothy must have gotten sick a lot, and Paul is addressing that. 
Today, Christians, as good stewards of their time and resources, should take good care of their health by eating right, getting exercise, taking their medication. Paul then says that all sins will eventually be exposed, and all good works will be will eventually become known. Paul says it this way, Some men's sins are evident, preceding them to judgment, and some also follow later. In the same way, also, there are good works that are obvious and those that are otherwise can't be hidden. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24. Paul then addresses Christians who were in slavery. The Old Testament provided a way for the poor who needed money to sell themselves as slaves to other Jews for a period of time, and then after that period of time, they would go free. Also in the Greco-Roman world, some may have become slaves to others, and some believers in God continued to own slaves they had gotten before they became believers in God. Paul is telling these slaves how to honor Christ in their slavery. These Christian slaves are to be a good witness to their non-Christian masters because to do so brings honor to God. In the Old Testament, Joseph had this attitude when he was sold as a slave to Potiphar, and he kept getting promoted because he was doing such a good job with a good attitude until he was in control and entrusted with all his master's assets. Paul says that Christian slaves of other Christians should take the attitude that their labor for their master was in service to another believer in Jesus Christ, whom they should love as a Christian brother. Paul told Timothy to teach and exhort slaves in this regard. This should be a lesson to those of us who are mistreated by others. Like Joseph and like these early Christian slaves, we should make the most of the situation that we are in to bring glory to God rather than complain. Paul says to withdraw from those not accepting Paul's message, his doctrine, and call to godly living. We are to avoid those who are conceited, who are obsessed with arguments, word battles, envy, strife, insults, and who use godliness as a means of making money. Paul then discusses the value of being content with what we have and the dangers and temptations that the love of money can bring. Paul says we don't have to have a lot to be content. We are to be content with having food and clothing. That does not mean we should be complacent and lazy. Paul has already pointed out in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, that we need to provide for ourselves and for our family. Paul is not advocating laziness. God wants us to be good stewards of what he has given to us. Paul points out to the poor the dangers of wanting to be rich. The desire for riches can be a snare. It can destroy contentment. We may be tempted to make money through sinful ways, such as stealing, fraud, and wanting money more than we want to keep God first in our lives. We can be so focused on making money that we have no time to pray to God and worship God. We can be so busy making money that we neglect spending time with our spouse or our children. Greed can lead us away from God and lead to many sorrows. Christians are to flee the love of money, greed, and ill-gotten gain. Instead of the pursuit of wealth, Christians instead are to pursue 
righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Christians are to fight the good fight of faith. Christians are to take hold of eternal life to which God called them. Christians are to live without spot, are to be blameless, and are to hope for the second coming of Christ. Paul then describes Jesus Christ as one, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, having immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, which no man has seen nor can see. This is likely referring to God the Father. No one has seen God the Father or can see God the Father, yet Jesus dwells in God's the Father's unapproachable light. Jesus has seen God the Father and has revealed God the Father. See John chapter 1, verse 18, which says, No one has seen God at any time. The one and only Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. Paul tells Timothy to instruct the rich about the dangers of being rich. Now, earlier Paul had told Timothy of the dangers of those who are not rich, but who desire to get rich. Now Paul is instructing Timothy about those who are already rich. Here are the dangers that the rich face. One, the danger of arrogance. They may think that they are better than others just because they are rich. Two, the danger of a false security. Many can be lost, and it will all be lost when we die. How are the rich to live with their riches? Well, first of all, rich Christians are to set their hope on God rather than their money. Rich Christians are to remember that God is their provider. All our needs and blessings come from God. Also, rich Christians are to do good in good works. We are called to be good stewards of what God has given to us. Rich Christians are to be willing to share. Rich Christians, like all Christians, are to focus on heavenly treasures in eternal life. Paul ends his first letter to Timothy that we have in the Bible with these words. Timothy, guard that which is committed to you, turning away from the empty sh shatter and oppositions of what is falsely called knowledge, which some profess and thus have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 20 to 21. So the first 15 books of the New Testament in order are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and 1 Timothy. Thank you for joining with me and listening to this podcast. Be sure to search the Bible to evaluate all teachers, including me. Check out my website at UpwardJourneyBibleStudy.com where you can learn more about this podcast and other resources for spiritual growth. Always remember to keep God first in your life. Bye for now.